Well, before we begin our message this morning, I'd like to update you on some exciting things happening here at Grace. Uh, ever since uh, we adopted a, a, a multi-site approach to our ministry for the past several years, we've had churches in our region reaching out to us to talk about the possibilities of partnering or merging or working together in some way. And I'd like to tell you about two of those churches. The first is Christ Church of Amherst, New Hampshire. Uh, about an hour north of us, uh, just outside of Manchester and Nashua, New Hampshire. Uh, Christ Church is a congregation of about 100 people or so, and they have a compelling vision to reach out to their community and to grow, but they've had a hard time getting to the next level. Some of their leaders are familiar with Grace Chapel's ministry, and uh, they have been in conversations with us, and for several months now they have been using our sermon videos for their Sunday morning teaching. They have sent leadership teams out to participate in the Leadership Summit, some of our ministry training events. Their worship pastor connects with our worship planning ministry sometime. And so we're beginning to explore what a strategic partnership with uh, Christ Church of Amherst might look like in the days to come. The second is Foxborough Bible Church, located about an hour, 45 minutes or so south of us. Uh, Grace has had a relationship with Foxborough Bible Church for many years now. From time to time, we've consulted with them or supported them in seasons of transition. And they find themselves in a similar season right now. They are a small congregation with a substantial facility, and they're concerned about their long-term viability as an independent congregation. So we've been in conversations with them about their future. They're very familiar and uh, comfortable with our vision and mission and values and uh, so they have been using our sermon videos on Sunday mornings as well for several months now. Now, in recent days, uh, just recently, the congregation of Foxborough Bible Church has decided and voted to gift us their entire property. Yes, it's a remarkable thing. So that, that includes a 400-seat sanctuary, an educational building, a gym, and a parsonage. It's located on six acres of land, uh, about a mile off of I-95 and a few miles from Gillette Stadium. So the initial paperwork has been signed and should be a formal closing in 30 days or so. Now, the property comes with no strings attached to it and no particular commitments at this point other than for us to steward this property in a way that serves the kingdom here in greater Boston. It could perhaps be a future campus of Grace Chapel if the Lord should lead in that direction. If not, then we will try to find some other use for it that, again, serves the work of God in the city of, uh, in the greater Boston area and here in New England. So our next step in discerning the Lord's leading here is to invite any of you who'd like to, especially those who live in the area, to come to a dessert reception this Tuesday night at the Foxborough facility, 7 o'clock or so. You can walk around the building, uh, ask some questions, and begin thinking and praying with us about what the Lord might want to do there. If you would like to come, or if you can't come, but are interested in what's happening there, please send Pastor Richard an email, just richard at grace.org, and let him know of your interest, or just show up there on Tuesday night. So we could obviously talk a lot more about these possibilities, and we will in days to come if they begin to take more shape, but we certainly are marveling uh, the work of God in our region, the opportunity we have to play a part in that. And meanwhile, the Lord's doing wonderful things here. We'll be baptizing 20-some folks here across our campuses in services today. So uh, we have much to thank the Lord for, and we'll ask Him to trust and guide us in the days to come. 
We do would like to take a moment this morning to affirm these two congregations of Foxborough Bible Church and Christ Church of Amherst for their vision, their courage, their faith to see the work of God continue in their region. Can we just affirm them uh, for their faith and vision and courage? We truly, truly, we are honored to be partnering with you as we serve the Lord here. Let's, let's bow in prayer for just a moment. Lord, these truly are remarkable things. We sense your hand at work throughout the region, throughout the city, uh, across our own campuses, and in the many, many churches gathering for worship today. We're so grateful to be part of what you're doing here, so grateful that you have raised us up for this time and this place to be about the work of the kingdom. Thank you for the goodness and the abundance of that, for the opportunity to share some of what you have given to us with other churches that are eager to grow and serve and be all that you would have them to be. So bless these two congregations, give their leadership wisdom, give them unity in their congregations as they make their decisions and move forward, and we pray that you might guide us as well, that we would be and do all that you have us to be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, today I'd like to take you on a journey through thousands of years of history and hundreds of pages of Scripture. A journey that I took as I prepared this message, a journey that led me to a rediscovery of who Jesus is in my life and the church and the world. It was a discovery that left me stunned and speechless at a local Panera restaurant one morning this past week. And I'm hoping you'll have the same kind of experience here today, except for the coffee and the bagel, okay? We'll begin that journey with some of the most familiar and comforting words in all the Bible, and maybe in all of human literature. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The opening lines of the 23rd Psalm. The go-to passage of Scripture and those most difficult and distressing experiences of life. Words that people have turned to in funeral homes and hospital rooms and foxholes and prison cells and unemployment lines and hostile work environments and at lonely kitchen tables. Let me share the words of the psalm with you again accompanied by some pictures that might help us appreciate, appreciate the richness and the resonance of this psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. These words 
have been a source of comfort and strength and hope for people down through the centuries in all the experiences of life. No doubt, even as I recited them, they brought to mind places and moments in which these words became meaningful for you personally. Chances are there are words that many of us thought and prayed in the past couple of days as we prayed for folks in Beirut and Paris and across the world living in the shadow of death. The words were written by David, the Bible tells us, and we have no reason to doubt that. If David wrote any of the Psalms, he certainly wrote this Psalm, 23. I like to think he wrote it early in life, perhaps as a young boy watching his flock. If he did, I believe he turned to it again and again and again as a king watching over the nation of Israel. The psalm reminds us that we have a God who guides and provides, who cares and protects, a God who is with us, a God we can turn to, a God we can count on, a God under whose care we flourish. No wonder we turn to it again and again and again. But where did David come up with this image? We like to think he thought of himself as a shepherd boy, but the truth is it had been around for a long time, like a thousand years. And this is where our journey takes a bit of an interesting turn. Instead of pressing forward to the New Testament to get to Jesus, we're going to go back in time to the origins of this image. And we have to go all the way back to the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Genesis is the story of beginnings, the creation of the universe, the call of Abraham, the formation of a people set apart for God. In Genesis, we meet the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And in the final scene of Genesis, as Jacob is blessing his children and his grandchildren, listen to what he prays. May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. It's the first time in the Bible God is described as one who guides and feeds and protects. Now, we can understand how Jacob might have turned to some earthly figure or metaphor to describe a God he could not see, a God we cannot fully understand. We do that all the time, look for metaphors and images to help us understand God. Uh, some people in their imaginations think of God as a cosmic cop and forcing the rules and keeping us from having any fun. Others think of God as a celestial Santa Claus who gives us the things we want if we're good and if we ask nicely. For many people, God is a great grandfather in the sky who watches from a distance, smiles at our shenanigans, and thinks well of us no matter what we do. The idea is we, we, we look for images, for metaphors of a God and, and who he is and how he operates in our world. And so it's no surprise Jacob turned to a very familiar figure in the ancient world, a shepherd watching over a flock of sheep. To describe a God who guided and provided and cared for and protected he and his people for generations and generations. And so the, the image of God as a shepherd became a controlling metaphor, an image that God's people clung to through all their travels and travails. As wonderful as it is to have a heavenly shepherd, there are times you want a shepherd with skin and bones. 
someone who was actually physically present with you in all the rough and tumble and hills and valleys of life. And so at a certain point, the people began looking to human leaders to act as under-shepherds for their heavenly shepherd. Human leaders who would stand in God's place and be present with them in their lives. And so Moses was the first one who put this into words. In his final days, as he passes the baton to Joshua, listen to how he prays. May the Lord, the God of the spirits of all mankind, appoint a man over this community to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them and bring them in, so the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. Now, again, it's no surprise that Moses was the one who uses this metaphor. He himself tended sheep for 40 years in Midian and then shepherded the flock of Israel out of Egypt and through the wilderness. And so from this time on, people began to regard their leaders as shepherds. And so some hundreds of years later, when the people felt like they wanted a king and God gave them a king, they once again turned to the image of the shepherd. 2 Samuel tells us, All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. As the Lord said to you, You will shepherd my people Israel, and you will become their ruler. And so it was that the kings of Israel came to be regarded as shepherds of the nation. Now, I find it interesting that even these many, many centuries later in our modern contemporary world, we continue to turn to that image of a shepherd to describe our spiritual leaders. Imagine for a moment you're part of a pastoral search committee. You're looking for a new leader for your congregation. The first night, the chairman says, let's come up with a list of characteristics, things we're looking for in the next man or woman who will lead our congregation. And so someone says, uh, uh, he has to be able to preach the word, teach the scriptures. Yes, that's right. He puts it up on the flip chart. Someone else says, uh, yeah, but she needs to be able to lead. She needs to be a person of vision and courage. And they write up leadership on the board. And then someone says, yeah, but they really have to care for people, you know, to be with us. And that's right. And on and on the list goes. And then there's a pause. And someone says, we need someone with a shepherd's heart. And the people go, oh, yeah, a shepherd's heart. Because that's really what we're looking for in our spiritual leaders. Someone who will be with us in all the experiences of life. And it includes the things we mentioned, the teaching and the, and the leading and the caring, but it's more than that. It's, it's, a, it's a godly presence in the ups and downs of life. Someone who's like a shepherd. In fact, that's actually what the word pastor means. It comes from the Latin word for shepherd. And I'm sure we can all think of people who have been like shepherds to us on our spiritual journeys. Men and women who guided and cared and nurtured us in God's ways. And, and, and I know that many of you are like shepherds in the lives of people here at Grace. You Kidstown teachers, those six, eight, seven, ten kiddos around your table, that's your flock. They're trusting you to create a safe environment in which they can learn God's Word. 
student ministry leaders, those sixth grade boys, those sophomore girls. They need someone to guide them in paths of righteousness through a challenging season of life. Life community leaders, Stephen ministers, joy and mom-to-mom leaders, team leaders, you are shepherds to the flock under your care. They look to you for guidance, for teaching, for care, and just to be with them on the journey of faith. Now, ultimately, of course, they and we are all looking to the Lord as our shepherd, but in his grace, he gives us under shepherds who remind us and express his care for us. It's a high calling to be a shepherd, and it's a wonderful gift to have a shepherd. The problem, of course, is that sooner or later, every human leader disappoints us. No man or woman is able in their own strength to provide, to guide, to care, to do all that a shepherd needs to do. And even the most devoted, most attentive earthly shepherds will sometimes falter and fail. And that's how it went for the nation of Israel as well. These kings did not live up to their calling. And so as time went by, the people like sheep wandered farther and farther away from God. And they became vulnerable to predators. And they fell prey to the wolves and the, and the thieves of Assyria and Babylon who conquered and destroyed and eventually took captive the flock of Israel. And at that time, the prophet Ezekiel rose up to confront these failed leaders during the time of the exile. So let's go ahead to Ezekiel chapter 34. Now, I apologize to those of you who just read Ezekiel 34 this morning in your devotions, okay? I'm guessing that's not too many of us. We're probably not all that familiar with Ezekiel 34. But there are traces of Jesus all through that chapter. He writes, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and no one searched or looked for them. Speaking through the prophet Isaiah, the Lord rebukes the spiritual and political leaders of Israel for failing to guide and care and protect and nurture the faith and the life of the people. And he calls to mind again this image of sheep without a shepherd. That's the very phrase that, that, that Moses used about a thousand years before that. And Ezekiel conjures it up again. The thing about sheep is they really are lost without a shepherd. With no one to guide them, sheep will wander off in any and every direction. Sheep have been known to follow one another right off the edge of a cliff to their deaths. Sheep without a shepherd will stay too long in the same place. They'll eat the grass right down to the ground. They'll contaminate the water. They'll bring in parasites and they'll make themselves vulnerable to wolves and thieves by staying in the same place. I came across one shepherd's description of the multitude of ways that sheep can get themselves into trouble. 
they are susceptible to pneumonia and cancer, hypothermia in the winter, maggots in the summer. They push their heads through fences and get stuck. They climb trees to picket foliage and get stuck by their horns or legs. They fall down banks, get bitten by snakes and stung by wasps. They tumble into ponds and streams. They gorge themselves on ash leaves, roll on their backs, and blow up like balloons. They starve to death, freeze to death, poison themselves, and get depressed. No wonder the thought of sheep without a shepherd was so distressing to the ancient imagination. And no wonder the Bible so often compares human beings to a flock of sheep, no offense intended. I've been a pastor for 30-some years. I've never had anybody put their head through a fence and get stuck. <laughs> but I'm amazed at the ways people can get themselves into trouble and at the hard things that can happen to people in this life. I, I asked myself, what might it look or feel like today to be sheep without a shepherd. And I thought of those Syrian refugees fleeing to a foreign land, no place to call home, hungry, thirsty, vulnerable, fleeing from the presence of their enemies. I thought of immigrants to a new land. No language, no contact, no work, no home, no one watching out for them when they arrive. I thought of law-abiding citizens going off to the mall or a concert or the movie theater and suddenly living in the shadow of terror. I thought of, of kids without a crowd, no one to hang out with, stepping into the lunchroom and nobody to sit with. I thought about young adults still trying to find their way in life thought about mothers giving themselves 24-7 to children and wondering once in a while who's watching out for them. I thought about older adults who have buried not only their parents but everyone of that generation and now find that there's no one out in front of them anymore. I thought of Christians without a church, workers with no job, People who are sad or depressed or afraid or lonely and no one seems to understand. Sheep without a shepherd are in a desperate spot. And so are people. So when God looks down on his people Israel in exile and he sees their plight he can't help but respond. And so later in Ezekiel 34, the Lord speaks, and listen to what he says. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will remove them from tending the flock. How about that? He fires them. He fires the bad shepherds. And then he says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend to my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will shepherd the flock with justice. This is remarkable. 
God himself will come down and shepherd his flock. He will lead them and feed them and be with them. He will search out the lost ones and bring them home again. Do you hear echoes of Psalm 23? I will pasture them. They will lie down. And so this became Israel's hope. A heavenly shepherd who would come to care for his people. And it became all wrapped up in the messianic expectation of Israel. Well, fast forward now about 600 years, and this is where it gets really interesting. A popular rabbi is wandering the hills of Galilee. He's teaching, and he's healing, and he's helping, and he's pointing people towards God. And people begin to wonder, is this the one? Could this be the Messiah? And one day, this rabbi encounters a great crowd of people scattered on hills around the Sea of Galilee. And listen to what happens next. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. There it is again. That 2,000-year-old phrase. Jesus conjures it up again. Sheep without a shepherd. Chances are you remember what happens next. Jesus teaches them all day long until late in the day, so now they're hungry. And the disciples want to send the people home. Jesus wants the disciples to feed them. So he sends them off and searches some grub and watch what happens next. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. Now that word translated sit down is actually the word recline. So you have groups of people lying down in green grass to eat. Is any of this sounding familiar? Jesus multiplies the bread and the fish, and look what happens next. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of bread and fish. It sounds like the people don't want any more, like they lack for nothing. And by the way, do you know when this is happening? According to Mark's gospel, this is happening immediately after John the Baptist is beheaded by King Herod. This is happening in the shadow of death. It's happening in the presence of their enemies. Do you see what's happening here? Jesus is acting out the 23rd Psalm. By his actions that day, he's declaring that he is that one. He is the shepherd the one, the one Jacob talked about, the one that Moses described, the one that David sang about, the one that Ezekiel promised, the one they've been longing for for hundreds and thousands of years. Jesus is saying, I'm that one. And the people get it. They realize it. And you know how we know? Because John tells us at the end of this miracle, what do the people try to do? They try to make him king. Why? Because he's the shepherd. He's the one they've been looking for. And for once, the people were right. He was that king. And a few months later, Jesus teaches and he says to the crowd, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. Whoever enters through me will be saved. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. 
I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He's making it plain. I am the good shepherd. The one sent from heaven to guide and provide, to care and protect. The one under whose care you will flourish. And not many months after that, he proved it by going to the cross and laying down his life for his flock, for the nation of Israel, for you and for me. Do you see why this is such an incredible journey? Across thousands of years of history and hundreds of pages of Scripture, all leading to a discovery of who Jesus was and is and always will be, the Good Shepherd, the one our hearts have always longed for. And this is what left me stunned and speechless in Panera that morning. I'd been working on the message, flipping back and forth through the pages of Scripture, connecting the dots, tracing this theme all the way through, seeing that I've been studying the Bible my whole life. I've been following Jesus my whole life. I was discovering connections and insights I had never seen before. I was literally staring dumbfounded out the window when a Grace Chapel couple having breakfast came by and said, Pastor Brian... And brought me back to reality. Now, it turns out the journey doesn't end there. We don't have time. But we could go ahead to the book of Acts and hear from the Apostle Paul. We could go to Peter's letter, second letter. We could go to the author of the Hebrews. They all talk about this image of the shepherd. We could go all the way to the last book of the Bible, to Revelation where John is given a vision of heaven at the end of human history with all those who have suffered for their faith gathered around the throne. And this is what John sees. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Is the Bible an amazing book or what? written over thousands of years by 40 different authors from a variety of cultural perspectives and different languages, and yet it tells one story, the story of a God who wants to be a shepherd to his people, a God who wants to be with us and for us in all the experiences of life, a God we can look to and count on, a God who comes looking for us when we're lost and brings us back home again, a God who will lay down his life in order that we might live and flourish with him forever. So let me ask you a question as we finish. We've been very historical and biblical this morning. Let's finish on a personal note. Is the Lord your shepherd? Are you a member of his flock? I remember a difficult season of my life many years ago. I was a new, young pastor. I think it was my second or third year. And I was feeling overwhelmed by the demands of ministry. Sermons to prepare, people to care for, a church to lead. And, and I was overwhelmed by it all. At the same time, I was uh, trying to be a good father to my family the kids were little, finances were tight, Karen was lonely. We weren't living near family, so we were on our own. And there were times I just, I, 
I didn't think I could bear up under it. Maybe I'm not cut out for this work. I don't think I'm going to make it. One fall, we went to a conference, a pastor's conference, upstate New York. It was actually at Camp of the Woods. The first time I'd been there since I was a teenager. The speaker was a seasoned pastor from the West Coast. At the time, I thought he was an old guy. He was probably right about my age. I suppose the shoe fits, I don't know. He got up that first night and announced that his text for the conference would be Psalm 23, and that his theme would be, who is the shepherd's shepherd? And when he spoke those words, I nearly burst into tears because I realized I was, I was like a sheep without a shepherd. And for the next couple of days, the Lord made me lie down in green pastures. And he fed me through the teaching of that pastor. And he restored my soul as Karen and I took walks and talked in that beautiful landscape. And he comforted me as I sat with other pastors and we shared stories with each other. That weekend, my shepherd found me and he brought me home again. And it became a turning point in my journey of ministry where I came to understand that that he's the good shepherd and I'm just the under-shepherd. And as long as he is my shepherd, I have everything I need to do everything he, he asks me to do. And for 30-some years, my family, the flocks that I've served, have flourished under his care. So let me ask you again, is the Lord your shepherd? Do you look to him the way that lamb looked up at his shepherd in all the experiences of life? Are you allowing him to guide you through the hills and valleys? Are you feasting at the table of his word? Are you asking him to fill your life to overflowing with goodness and loving kindness? Don't waste another day wandering through life like a sheep without a shepherd. Look to Jesus. He's the good shepherd, the one our hearts have always longed for. Let's pray. Lord, how grateful we are for the scriptures. How grateful we are for your spirit who guides us as we read and study them. How grateful we are for your great love for us in sending us a shepherd like Jesus. For those of us who are members of his flock, we are so grateful. We pray that we might find great comfort, strength, and hope in his presence in our lives today, and that we might indeed follow him out of this place to be his people in the world. And Lord, for any who are here today feeling lost, feeling alone, may you find them where they are. May you make yourself known to them and bring them under your care. We pray now, Lord, for these who are about to be baptized. Sheep that you have found and brought into your flock who are declaring today that you are their shepherd. May you bless them in these moments and may you bless us by their testimony. In Jesus' name, amen.